0: current community affairs. The news and news you need to know. You are On The Line
1: with Dean Beck. Good afternoon. It's Thursday the 17th of December 2015. You are with Dean Beck On The Line. Thank you very much for joining me today. You may remember a little while back Facebook got into a lot of trouble because uh, they weren't allowing people to use names that they go by. They needed to be verified, and unless it was on your birth certificate or your driver's licence, Facebook didn't want to know you. Now, Facebook got into quite a bit of trouble with the queer community. A lot of people in our community, many at this station, who don't go by their real name. For whatever reason, Facebook have changed that policy. It goes into action this coming Tuesday. So I thought, are we queering corporations? Is it a fad? Is it a trend? Or is it a case of survival? for these corporations. Dr Lauren rose Warren is uh, knowledgeable on all things, uh, including this. Uh, She is from Melbourne University School of Social and Political Sciences and she joins us from Albuquerque. Welcome to you, Lauren.
2: Hey, Dean. How are you?
1: All the better for hearing from you, my dear. (laughs) Now, this uh, idea that corporations are being influenced by our community, uh, some are grabbing it with both hands and seizing it. Others are a little slow to pick up on it. Tell us, is it a case of survival for big corporations?
2: What I like is that we're having this conversation as though it's new. In some preparation that I was doing for this conversation, I was reading a Forbes article from 2006, which asked this very question about corporate America and embracing the queer dollar. And it's interesting because the article made a really good point, which I think is relevant even 10 years later, about how corporations often actually ahead of certainly Americans in terms of where they're at uh, politically and socially, but that there's a reason for doing that. And I think one of those reasons is market expansion. And I think for Facebook particularly, it needs to remain relevant, particularly in a world where people, particularly younger people, are moving towards Instagram and other social media Facebook needs to constantly reinvent itself to maintain its relevance.
1: They have no bigger customer base uh, that I can think of of any corporation. They're one of the biggest corporations since they floated on the public uh, stock exchange. It is essential for them to be at the head of the marketplace. And I imagine that this is just part of that. And being inflexible doesn't help any corporation, so they have given in to change and and that's I guess based on necessity.
2: And it also on the company, Facebook has traditionally had, even though once grandma got on Facebook it lost a little bit of its core factor (laughs) generally Facebook is associated with youngish people so there's less for them to lose because research shows younger people, and this is a trend that's been going since the research was first done are more likely to be supportive of socially progressive movements, as opposed to other corporations who actually basically don't care because see themselves erroneously sure but nonetheless see themselves as uh, not having a queer audience and therefore not needing one.
1: Why would a huge multinational accounting firm and there are a number of them (laughs) uh, embrace diversity as opposed to a mining company that maybe doesn't?
2: It's a cost-benefit analysis so in terms of if the company is public, they're dealing with their shareholders. Now, arguably shareholders, their only interest really is making money. So having more customers rather than less sounds like a good thing. Some brands, however, also sell themselves on conservative values. If you're selling that, if you're selling yourself as not progressive, but actually sort of upholding traditional, if archaic, but traditional values, you may be disinclined to embrace socially progressive movements and and, and embrace a queer community.
1: I would have it a guess that they might in the longer term be selling themselves short if they don't, though.
2: Oh, and that, that this is this misguided notion of, and I think you're seeing this play out in politics as well, where there are short-term gains to be made in terms of you know, political leverage if you're running for a, a seat in a certain uh, conservative electorate. But as a company whose bottom line has to keep improving year after year after year, you have to look for ways to expand your market. You would think being more inclusive is better, but that's not universally true for all companies.
1: Traditionally, corporations have uh, expanded through advertising and basic marketing methods. Finding new customers, finding a new and expanded customer base is what many of them are looking for, particularly in the uh, sunset phase of, of their existence. New marketplaces don't just pop up. You have to position yourself to be attractive to new markets.
2: Or you have to create products or services that increase your uh, income in other ways. And that's, I think, really what uh, Facebook is a good example of this, where if you go back to when it began in terms of the services that it started with as compared to now, we can do almost all of our social networking if we want through that one platform from making telephone calls, sending me- instant messages, etc it branched out because it saw itself losing a market to other to other kinds of products and i think that's what companies who don't or can't expand their market they have to start selling additional products and this is i think if you like the classic cases kodak uh kodak (laughs) had to go into other stuff because they saw the writing on the wall but Arguably, it was too late in some markets.
1: They've been struggling ever since, and Absolutely. Uh, they certainly didn't because see that
2: because they saw digital cameras as a flash in the pan. And you could actually, in a broader perspective, look at uh, Australia in terms of online shopping. Australian retailers, particularly the big department stores, saw online trading as a flash in the pan. Australian retailers were actually incredibly slow. you know Meyer and David Jones have only been doing online trading in the last couple of years, and even then it's not their full, their full suite of products
1: and they're still compared struggling to the u.s. Mm.
2: Absolutely, and then they wonder why Australians were one of the first countries where the population moved on to online shopping really, really quickly because we were being underserviced in the bricks-and-mortar stores. Now they're trying to struggle uh, in a market where we're actually used to shopping overseas in Australia for the past 10 to 15 years already.
1: We're speaking with Dr Lauren Rose Warren from Melbourne University School of Social and Political Sciences. When we come back from this break, we will speak to, to Neil Moisel, Festival Director of Midsum. We're talking about queering of corporations. Is it a fad? Is it a trend? Or is it essential to their future? Current Community Affairs. Connecting.
2: Uplifting.
1: Representing.
2: Informing.
1: Celebrating.
2: Empowering.
1: Sharing your passions. You are On The Line with Dean Beck. Joining us, Tenille Moysel, she's the Festival Director of midsummer two thousand and sixteen, Tenille. Thank you for making yourself available.
0: No worries, love to be here.
1: We're also speaking with Dr. Lauren Rose Warren, who is in Albuquerque at present and uh, works at Melbourne University School of Social and Political Sciences. We're talking about the queering of corporations. Is it a fad? Is it a trend? Or is it essential to their future? Now, Tenille, you have more. Corporate sponsors for Midsummer than you've ever had before. Yeah. Are they just throwing money at you?
0: Uh, well, not quite throwing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we, we're really lucky that we've been able to establish some really great partnerships with some really, uh, really high-profile large uh, Australian corporations. Absolutely.
1: Mardi Gras has been sponsored in the past by Fitness First, Jurex uh, condoms, Air Asia, Google, Gator, vodka companies, cruise companies, A B and B. Now, you used a term there that's very interesting, and I see a shift in this space. No longer referred to as sponsors, they're referred to as partners. What exactly does that mean?
0: Uh, I think the critical thing is, is that we're not looking for them just to give us money. We're looking at them, yes, to give us some money, but we, we provide something in return for that. And that is an opportunity to uh, provide a platform for engagement for their employees. Um, because where we work with our with our corporate partners is really um, around their culture internally Um, and looking at how they want to make sure that they are in an inclusive organisation and that means including every single person within their organisation.
1: That leads me into uh, this message that has come through from Anthony who says he thinks it's great that the corporations are becoming more LGBTI inclusive and that they're giving money Mm. in this space but he wants to know do they march at our human rights rallies and that's... They do at mine. But that's a fair... Comment, yeah. um, especially around partnerships?
0: I think that there's a critical change there. So, I think in the past we have had a situation where um, we've had corporations chasing the pink dollar, and certainly for midsummer and sort of like the particularly early and mid 90s, that's what it was all about. And we had huge, huge corporate partnerships. Let's be fair, we were chasing their dollar too. We were chasing their dollar, but the, 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 pla- you know, the place within the organisation that you're getting the money was actually from marketing. So, they were actually looking to market to the LGBTI community. There's a major shift there. I don't have a single corporate partner who is partnering with us to drive product and service. So that where is does the money come benefit. from? The benefit comes from employee engagement. It comes from HR departments. It comes from right. newly formed diversity departments. And where that's kind of, I guess, stemmed from is employee satisfaction surveys. Companies realise now that happy employees are going to stay around, so they're going to save money on things like retention and needing to re-recruit people and retrain them. And the best way to do that is allow people to come to work and be their entire selves. So probably about 10 years ago, employee satisfaction surveys became this really big thing that you you needed to go out and do. And what a lot of organisations found is that people weren't being completely open about who they were and therefore they were feeling things like discrimination when sometimes they were absolutely genuine and... and, um, Uh, genuine reasons to feel that way, and sometimes there weren't. And I think there was a bit of a wake-up call that happened through a lot of organisations where they sort of said, we've got people walking out of this door because they're afraid of how we're we going to treat them and we maybe need to have a look in the mirror about that and you know organizations like our partners are great examples of big corps that have kind of said you know what we actually want our people to feel comfortable and we want them to come to work and we want them to stay here we want to reduce sick leave we want to you know make sure that this is a really happy place for them because you know if you can bring your whole self to work you're going to be a much more productive employee.
1: Dr Lauren rose Warren, if a happy employee means a happy company, more people are going to want to go to a happy company, aren't they?
2: Are you meaning customers yeah, or employees? Yeah. No, in yeah. customers. Uh, um, this is, it's hard to... Yes, in the, in the general sense, but I think there is always going to be a percentage of people, um, and I think sort of American groups like One Million Moms, um, make this point where they boycott certain products, like, for example, J.C. JCPenney, when J.C. JCPenney, the department store, used Ellen DeGeneres in commercials. This One Million Moms group decided that they would boycott that brand. So there's always going to be a section of the market that doesn't like that. And brands and companies have to decide whether that's a risky move for their product or, in fact, whether they can buffer and um take
1: that on the chin and it's not a big deal. ANZ's gay TMs copped yep. a lot of flack from yep. the lack of authentic uh, partnerships that were, uh, you know, in the in that space. Blinging your ATM doesn't make you a good gay citizen, or not interpreted by the gay community. Well, not not in initially, some, and I think that's where, lives.
0: from my perspective, there's a whole education process that sits behind that, and, that, and that's why organisations like ANZ keep doing the gay TMs, because the first time they make a change, and remember, any kind of change takes... One person usually in an organisation or a group to actually do something different, um, and ANZ as an organisation decided they wanted to change their internal culture, which then led into made, making changes to their brand because it's all part of the same thing. So they continue to do the gay TMs despite getting the the backlash not only from um, I guess the broader community, but f- directly from the community that they were they were trying to I guess appeal to and to support. They will continue to do that though, and I think that that's a great thing.
1: Pink Media did a survey in 2014 asking the question, how do you know if brands support the LGBTI community? 50% of respondents said that uh, it was through a presence at a major LGBTI event, 57% said through advertising, and 53% said through the general media landscape and reporting. That means that you need to have a presence at these things, but you can't just bling it.
0: I think you also need to make sure that your employees have a sense yeah. of pride and there's a thing that um there's a thing that kind of goes around in corporate circles to, uh, they call it the barbecue test so when somebody comes up to you and says hey where do you work and what do you do how you talk about the company you work for and in relation to you as a person is really really important so if someone were to come up to me and say hey hey what do you do which actually did actually happen a couple of weeks ago i start talking about i work for midsummer festival you know and you start talking about that there's a there's there's a, this kind of like i guess subliminal message that kind of takes place within that space in that conversation that allows all of the people listening to hear hey that organization seems like they've got a really great culture. Because this person who we know is an out and proud lesbian, you know, is saying really great things about them. So there's absolutely the mass appeal through marketing and that sort of thing. But I think that companies realise that their best advocates are actually their employees because they're the people living and breathing the culture.
1: Lauren Rose Warren, the Commonwealth Bank copped a bit of flack in this space, I think, a couple of years back with a trans employee. Diversity, if it's going to be embraced, has to be embraced as a cultural change and right through an organisation.
2: Yeah, and particularly in this social media savvy world, inconsistency in branding and inconsistency in messages is actually more damaging than not being part of the space at all because again people will be very ready including the community itself being ready to jump on these kind of inconsistencies so brands need to be and companies need to be really careful that it doesn't look like they're just trying to court the so-called pink dollar but in fact that they're embracing culturally across their organisation these set of values and it's values that's the important part as opposed to just a bottom line uh, interest in expanding your market.
1: The Pink Media Group asked uh, a survey of the gay community to vote for uh, the most LGBTI-friendly company in a key category. And under the auto category, they had Holden, Mazda, Subaru, Toyota and Hyundai. And 60% of respondents said that none of those companies were LGBTI-friendly.
0: Oh, not even Subaru. Not even Subaru. Wow. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. When it came
1: to banks, they had Commonwealth, Westpac, ANZ and NAB, and 50% said none of the above. Mm. Now, that was in 2014. I wonder if that shifted.
2: It may have. But, but it's, it's also... Oh, no, you go. Sorry.
1: So I should <laughs> have directed that okay. question to somebody. Lauren, I wonder if that shifted.
2: <laughs> uh, well, in the United States, car companies... It's actually a much better, you know, for all that I can criticise the US, in terms of television commercials, there is a far bigger LGBTI presence in commercials here than there is in, in Australia. In car companies, it's actually quite noticeable. They will also include same-sex couples in their advertising, you know, often in uh, montage scenes or, or, if you like, all the different consumers showcased in in their advertisements. It's not something you see in Australia very often, which I think contributes to the idea of a suspicion as to how friendly the companies
1: are. Now in this partnership space, Tennille what does that look like? On the ground what do I as a member of the community yeah. see that partnership look like?
0: Uh, so I guess some examples for, for midsummer would be our stall holder area at Carnival. Okay. So we have all of our partners um, have a stall and rather than just giving out information you won't find too many of them just handing out information about the services they provide they actually think about how they can actually engage their employees to come down and represent their brand in some kind of fun way. So
1: when you're mm-hmm. negotiating a deal, yep. um, they'll say, oh, we'll throw $50,000 at you. You say, fine. Mm-hmm. But part of the deal is you've got to turn up at uh, Carnival Day. Yep. You've got to march in Pride. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a presence elsewhere. Yeah. We'll do X, Y and Z to promote your brand. Yeah. But you also have to think about how you're going to engage with us.
0: We really like it. We don't, we don't have to say those things. Okay. So when we actually talk to a um, prospective partner about coming on board with us, what we actually do is we actually say to them, you get to do these things. Right. And they get excited about the opportunity to use the platform. Uh-huh. So um, we we don't have anyone that just gives us money. What we have is, is companies coming to us saying, we want to be part of this and amazing event that you put on every year because we see that there's value in you know three years ago uh, it's, it's quite common to hear three years ago we we surveyed our people and six percent identified as LGBTI um, and as that as the years are going on that's now up to 13 percent and 14 percent it's important for us to show that we support our, our people. Do
1: you think that we as a community are a bit slow to catch on in some of this?
0: I think we're, we're laden with fear to be honest with right. you um, because we we've all heard the stories or we've all got personal stories about, um, you know, being either a customer or an employee where things Mm -hmm. haven't gone well for you. What we need to be doing is really be promoting those organisations that have done the work um, and are making changes. And there are some great stories out there. SEEK have got a fantastic new uh, process um, that they, or a new product or service that they're providing which will actually allow employees to make recommendations for the company they work for. So you can log on to SEEK now and actually see by category and by industry what are the best companies to work for and they don't just rate them overall. They rate them across things like diversity, career opportunity and things that are actually really important to people. So when you're making that decision to to join an organisation, you can actually sit back and say, well, I know that this one's going to pay me really well, but they haven't scored mm. really mm. high in a diversity or inclusivity space or vice versa. But you know what you're getting yourself into and you get to make that decision. But I think that we, we, it's still changing and we've got some, I mean, AGL is one of our new partners, 130 odd years old, the oldest privately owned company in Australia. You can bet your bottom dollar their policy documentation is going to need a little bit of work yeah, sure. and that that's just a reality really huge organizations take a long time to change but it takes really passionate people to lead that within those organizations and our job is to kind of recognize those people and continue to support them and maybe be a little bit forgiving when they kind of muck it up a bit because no change is perfect the first time.
1: Lauren Rose Warren as a community we're quick to criticize uh, not so quick with the praise though.
2: Yeah, and I really like that point that Tennille just made about um, not jumping on mistakes, and I think this is something that social media loves. So do uh, radio
1: commentators, by the way, but anyway.
2: (laughs) Personal experience, (laughs) (laughs) Dean? But any slip-in language, for example, is pounced upon, and I think we need to be really careful that for some of us this is old hat, others it's new, and I, I think particularly trans is a good example where this stuff is for a lot of people. no one's into, well, A lot of people aren't intending to be offensive. They're just finding their feet in terms of language, and I think we need to be a embracing uh, environment for people to do their bit as opposed to being a sort of PC um, militant sort of army waiting for people to screw up.
1: Lauren Rose Warren's final comment there, I think, pointed to me a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, to Neil, you had a word to say.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, one of my favourite things to do is to go and meet with um, with new partners, um, and there's always um, there's always a conversation with a couple of them that's that feels a little bit awkward for them. They want to get excited and they want to say so many things that they actually just don't have the words to say. And my my job is really to provide that safe place to say, look, you know, say what you want to say, and I'll I'll give you the right words. But to, to not be offended by it because their intentions, I completely you know, appreciate their intentions to support.
1: And I would suggest that that's the wise ones that seek out that counsel and yeah, that conversation exactly before right. they take a public platform. Yeah. To Neil Moisel, thank you very much for joining us today, Festival Director of Midsummer and Dr Lauren rose Warren, always a delight and uh, again <laughs> no, I'm Dean, you stick you. it up me every time. Thank you darling. <laughs> you are with Dean Beck on the line. You're with
0: Melbourne's most lovable,
1: big gay voice, Dean Beck.
0: If you want someone else,
1: listen to real radio.
2: Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au.
0: Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy.